0: good evening once again welcome if you are new around here it's delightful to have you worshiping with us this evening some of you know my husband simon and you know that he travels quite a lot and he's just been away for 12 days and uh, that means that somehow i always seem to watch a little bit more telly than usual so i have caught up on a number of really good programs if you want some suggestions ask me later and i will tell you some of them but one of the the shows that i caught up while he was away was grantchester And um, season four started recently, and if you like murder mysteries set near a beautiful city in England, uh, there are a lot of series to choose from, to be perfectly honest, um, because there seems to be a heck of a lot of murder in Oxford and Cambridge, but Grantchester is a good one. Um, And uh, this particular story I'm going to mention is episode two, so if you haven't heard it yet, there's a tiny little spoiler alert coming up, but I won't give it all away, but... um, Essentially, the story is set in 1956, Cambridgeshire, so it's a a beautiful little village, and the particular story in episode two was about a mathematics professor at Cambridge, and he is brutally murdered, and of course, Geordie turns up, and then also the other person who's involved this time is the Reverend Leonard Finch. And Leonard is a gay, closeted vicar, and he comes in to help Geordie untangle this murder. During the course of the investigation, Geordie discovers that the professor was gay, and therefore everything begins to center on his homosexuality as being probably the cause and reason for his murder. It's Leonard's job to kind of draw him back from that story and see that there is a much bigger picture involved. And the way that the program depicts the homophobia and ignorance and deep-seated fear of the time is revealing. In some ways, it's a time which seems like a whole lifetime ago, but it's my parents' generation. It's really not that long ago. And that particular episode finished with focusing in on the housekeeper, who's really been very close with Leonard and is very shocked to discover his orientation and can't get ahead around it. And clearly, this is going to be a storyline which is going to unfold in the weeks ahead. Programs which show us where we have been culturally can be so helpful. Sometimes encouraging when we realize that we have moved on from a time of bigotry or prejudice, but sometimes simply revealing the truth of history. Last week, Isaiah preached and he book ended his sermon with stories and photographs from the civil rights movement. And he talked about how Christians at that time made a decision. They had a choice as to whether they stood up for the civil rights movement or whether they closed their doors and rejected the suggestion that racism was something of the past. He reminded us that our primary responsibility in the church is to love those people, all people in our communities. And to ensure that our church structures facilitate that attitude of welcome and pushing back against racism is something that we each actively have to do on a day-to-day basis but we also need to know our story if we want to keep moving in the paths that i think god ordains for us because we live in a time of rapidly changing social norms who would have thought five years ago perhaps Um, that we would be in the thrall of the kind of bathroom debates that are going on at the moment. We hear the voice of the LGBTQ community challenging us, for example, as to how we will view questions of difference and to think carefully about our response. There are so many questions that we as a church have to consider, questions of sexuality and gender, questions of race, economic difference, national identity, Think about asylum seekers, refugees, questions of religion, even questions of birth, things like adoption and abortion. How are we as individuals and as a community facing those changes? How do we address those things over the water cooler with our colleagues, over the garden fence with our neighbors, with our family, with our children? Which direction are we going to choose to go in? As Catherine read, Stephen was confronted by the religious people of his day who recognized that a huge seismic shift was happening that was threatening their very existence, their whole worldview, their culture. And so these men of the temple rose up, men from a variety of cultural backgrounds. I don't know if you caught those place names, but they came from across North Africa. They came from Turkey and beyond. They rose up, they stirred up, it says, the people and the elders and the scribes, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the council, the Sanhedrin. Threatened, scared, and confused, these men reacted to the way that they saw their society changing. And it's what we do when we feel under threat. You see it every day, people responding to their internal fear with violence when they see that change is coming. We saw it yesterday in El Paso when a young man took a gun and shot 49 people, killing 20 of them, as he stood scared at what was changing in his culture and in his environment. Within nine hours, there was another shooting up in Dayton, Ohio, and I don't think it's clear yet what the motive was, but the young man was excluded from a bar and took out his violence on innocent people. How fear can move us to violence. And these people, in Act 6, they were being scared of the changes wrought by Jesus's death and resurrection, the move away from the temple and the Judaic law, everything that had made their life safe and secure, everything which had given a rhythm to what their daily, their daily tasks. So how does Stephen respond Okay, you've just been grabbed by a mob, you've been taken with violence into the council, and you're in front of these men who are going to judge you. What does he do? Well, he tells them their story. And he tells them their story in a really interesting way. He doesn't actually respond to the things that are frightening them. He doesn't respond by addressing the immediate questions which they're raising. He goes into it by starting with everything which they do feel secure about. He starts with Abraham, the fact that God called Abraham, and he called him and he gave him a sign of circumcision. He called him way out in Mesopotamia, a country which was far away from these people now, and he took him out across the desert. And then it talks about how he showed his glory to Isaac and Joseph, and he told about God's story in rescuing his people from starvation And going into Egypt, and later on, their enslavement, and finally their escape. Stephen speaks of Moses. He speaks of Moses, this young man who's rescued, and then is a murderer, and then he runs away, and then God appears to him in a burning bush. Later, the people rebel, and God withdraws, but then God gives the design for the tent of witness in the wilderness, the place of meeting. The tabernacle where God would talk to Moses and where his high priests could over time encounter him. David, Stephen goes on to talk about David and Solomon and the fact that yet again there was a shift in the narrative, a shift in the way that God was dealing with his people. He'd taken them from the desert, he'd taken them from being nomads, he'd brought them through all that living in a foreign country into towns and cities and now David wants to build him at the temple And God pushes back slightly and eventually allows Solomon to do that, even as he says that he's not going to be constrained and contained in a temple. God is never confined to a building. And so in each case, Stephen points out where God has been active, where he was present and how he revealed his glory to his people and how it changed. It wasn't a static revelation. It was a fluid revelation which moved and adjusted as people moved and adjusted. It's almost like from a child growing into being an adult. And now there is a critical moment for God's people. With the coming of Jesus, the whole story pivoted. This was the fulcrum about which history was moving. Jesus has fulfilled the need for an intermediary. He's fulfilled the need for a blood sacrifice. And everything is going to be completely different. No longer was God going to appear in these kind of one-off moments. No longer would change come through God shifting his means or place of engagement. The church, as it was, was not going to be replaced. There's no 2.0. The church is the way that God accesses his people. Each of us able to come into his presence. Jesus is God's ultimate revelation. And so here we are, part of this church, part of the hands and feet of Christ, the body of Christ until he returns. But even within the church, things cannot be static. Things cannot be the same forever. Things change with our communities and cultures adapting and being influenced by different events. But what we do all agree on is that we want God's glory to be revealed in the church. And so if we want God's glory to be revealed, then we need to be doing and being the things and people that God would want to see done by Jesus. So what does God care about? Well, he's quite explicit. He cares about widows. He cares about orphans. He cares about aliens and refugees. He cares about our identity, our heart language, our social and cultural setting. And as we see our culture grappling with who matters, we must be a voice which says that we all matter, that the privileges that we experience through birth or ethnicity or race are simply that, privileges. And privileges gives us opportunity, and there are always opportunities to reach out. For example, it's kind of easy for us to give money, so we set aside the tithe of the offerings every week, and we give it away. And so this week, our transition team talked about who we're going to give them away, that away to, and we're going to give it away to Rilo, who care about immigration for Refugees, we're going to give it away to an organization that works on the border. We're going to give it away to Larsh, who works with people with physical and mental limitations. We're going to give it away to Matthew 25 and the Great Commission Committee and Anglican Relief and Development Fund. We can give time, perhaps if you're free this Wednesday, you could come with me. We're going to Rylo to give a meal. It'll be an opportunity to sit and hear the story, perhaps, of an immigrant or a refugee play with their kids. And after all, at the end of the day, that's really the most costly thing and the most real thing that we can do is give relationship. We can give the opportunity to listen, to welcome strangers. My sister, Sandra, struggles with schizophrenia. She lives in a little town in England. Fortunately, not Oxford or Cambridge, otherwise she might be a great physical risk, but she lives on the South Coast. Because of the kind of things she struggles with, she's really hard to communicate with. But if you persevere, she's witty and gentle and kind, and she loves Jesus. But about five or six years ago, she had a season where she struggled with bedbugs. Her church asked her not to go to church anymore, uh, and they refused to visit her anymore. And she stopped going to church. Nobody visits her anymore. She's on her own in a town far away from even my kids who go when they can, but they live quite far away. She doesn't have a single friend in that town anymore. I took her last time I was there to another church which had a daytime drop-in center. They were very friendly and welcoming, but she has been so put off the church, it's going to take a lot more than one drop-in center to make her trust people again, to make her go back. Just this week, we heard that the cancer she had battled with in January has come back. It's Probably quite aggressive. The people who she talks to about it are her healthcare providers. They're the ones who reach out to her. How I wish she had a church community near her. I'm actually really still quite disappointed with her previous church. I understand their fear. Many of them were elderly, and they didn't know how to handle her but they could have made a different choice. Sometimes when someone comes into our community, they might come with a story. They might come with a story of rejection, of being hurt by the church, or by the people, or by all sorts of people. There are lots of things that they might come in with. And our role is first of all to listen, maybe to offer apology, to give offer forgiveness, on behalf of the church, to give understanding. That great big list of things I mentioned at the beginning, gender, sexuality, race, economic difference, national identity, asylum seekers, refugees, religion, birth, that list just highlights a whole lot of ways that somebody might be different from me. Different race, different ethnicity, different life experience, different political viewpoint. I might disagree with everything about their ideology, But that doesn't give me an excuse not to sit and listen and to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. That's what we can do. We can listen to stories as we appreciate the humanity of each other. At the end of the day, we all have stories which incorporate enormous beauty as well as things that bring fear. And it always runs the risk that that fear might cripple us. It crippled those elders and scribes, those men of the council, Their fear drove them to murder Stephen. Listening and friendship doesn't conflict with orthodoxy. We can hold on to all sorts of views such as the uniqueness of Christ, the truth of the resurrection, the need for salvation, even traditional marriage. We can and should be ready for an answer as to how we hold our world view, but we do not have to be afraid. We can listen and love with the resources of heaven at our disposal. We can offer an opportunity for people to worship Where people can encounter god for themselves he'll work things out with them my dream for incarnation is that our pews will fill week by week that they will fill with the curious the hurt people who have been rejected perhaps in other places people who are afraid but also people who are looking for hope for community a friend to walk through the mess and muddle of their story with them An opportunity for all of us, perhaps who are regular here, to take time to stop and to listen, to give space. Stephen's answer to those furious men wasn't to argue with their specific beliefs, but to point them to the God who sought them, who has always, always pursued relationship, who has flexed with the times and given greater and greater access to himself, who ultimately gave his only son so that he could be present with his people. The answer Stephen gave was way bigger than the question the guys were asking, as he pointed to God who loves and seeks and looks for solution in the context of loving relationship. They stoned him, but Stephen was the one who saw God's glory. You may have heard a saying from the medieval writer Rupertus Maldinius, on the essentials unity, on the non-essentials freedom in everything love. When I look at Leonard Finch in Grantchester, I wish that he was not the one who was having to reach out to the church. I so wish the church was reaching out to him. Let's not be people ever governed by fear. Let's be those who recognize that God is alive and we have access to his glorious face as we worship. Take time to listen, make space to welcome, remembering that we too need forgiveness. We too need so badly to be loved by God and by his church. May we be a community which is quick to apologize and to listen, deliberate in not taking offense, and that we don't throw stones, a church that is bold in love and steadfast in hope. Heavenly Father, we are conscious that we are broken, stumbling people, that we don't always offer a hand to those who need it. We're shocked and saddened by the stories of others so often. We thank you that you always, always listen. We pray for the people of El Paso and Dayton as they grieve in the wake of mindless violence. We pray for our own stories when we have turned from those who are hurting. Will you help us to pay attention? to you and to your Holy Spirit as you speak to us and woo us into relationships. Thank you for your patience and your kindness to each one of us. Amen.